Well, good morning, everyone. It is uh, hard to follow that. Man, that was awesome. Yeah, that was just, I was taking that in. It's just a, a testament. And here we're talking today about faithfulness, and we're seeing that um, played out in action through the church, through our children, the children's ministry. And so, man, I'm so thankful for them and the investment they've made in, on my children. Um, so those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian Weiler. Um, I am a member here at DOXA. If it's your first time joining us today, we, we are really uh, grateful that you're here with us. Um, we've been in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 this summer, and we've been walking through the fruit of the Spirit. And today we are going to focus on faithfulness. Um, before we jump in, uh, let's just pray together. God, we are so thankful uh, that we get to gather here today to, to focus our attention on you and what you've accomplished for us. God, we're thankful that the, 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 um, the new life that you promise is something that you do inside of us, that as much as our flesh and uh, just the enemy come against us, we know that you and your perfect plan and through your power and through your spirit, we get to be changed. And we are, we are, we are so thankful that the work that you promise you're gonna do in us, you accomplish. And so to this morning, I pray that you would do that, that you would help us to see you, uh, that you would in some, some way, through the power of your spirit, uh, draw us into a deeper intimacy with you. Uh, Lord, we want to be changed. We want to be like you. Uh, we're thankful uh, that we can rest in your goodness and your kindness. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen. Um, Randy mentioned two weeks ago that the, the fruit of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, faithfulness, goodness, all of them, they are the evidence or the proof that we belong to Christ. If we've been born again and Christ has given us new life, we will inevitably produce fruit. In other words, if we genuinely belong to Jesus, over time, our life will begin to reflect Jesus more and more to the world. We will be changed. We already have full access to God, and we are no longer enemies of God, and this new life produces in us a new desire to be like Jesus, this new desire to be more and more like our future and eternal self. The implications of misunderstanding this truth is pretty big, and it's why the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia in the first place. He opens the book of Galatians by saying this. This is Galatians 1, verse 6. He says this. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Paul's purpose in writing the book of Galatians was to realign their belief and to point them back to the gospel. See, there was an argument that was kind of stirring in the church regarding how a follower of Christ lives faithful and how they grow to become more like Jesus. The argument centered around what qualities a follower of Jesus should exhibit. The lie that many in that church started to believe was that what you did and how you lived is what justified you before God. The lie centered around what proved you were legit. What was the evidence that you are a child of God? Many thought that the evidence of whether or not you belonged to Jesus was that you had to be circumcised and you had to follow the Jewish law. You had to look the part. 
Paul, the Apostle Paul in Galatians, he not only reminds the church of what really justifies a person before God, he lays out the evidence of what it looks like right here in Galatians chapter 5. Paul explains that a person who is, uh, who is justified will not rely on their flesh or their effort, but they will rely on the Spirit of God. Paul explains that when you abandon the belief that what you do and how you live will in some way make God more or less pleased with you, when you abandon that belief, you are free to accept the gospel and rely on the Spirit of God. Paul says here in Galatians 5, verse 18, he says this, but if you, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Paul is making it clear that if we are walking by the Spirit, we are not trying to earn favor with God by obeying the law. Paul lays out the evidence here in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. He says this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And all those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its desires. So let me just pause here and ask this question. Why, why do you think Paul includes faithfulness as a byproduct of the Spirit's work? Why does Paul mention faithfulness as part of the fruit of the Spirit? Well, so you and I have absolutely nothing to boast in. The faithfulness that God requires and he desires is a work of the Spirit in our life. It's not a result of us trying harder, right? It's not a result of us trying to be a better version of ourselves. Paul is making the point that the, faith, that faith, the faithfulness God wants to produce in our life comes from outside of us. This is really profound and something a lot of Christians fail to understand, and it's why the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Galatia. They fell into the trap of thinking that their faithfulness to the law is what justified them before God. So what, what comes to your mind when you hear the word faithfulness? Who comes to your mind? When you think about someone, in your, in your opinion, you would, you would think or describe, it comes to your mind when you think of someone who is faithful. Would it be a person who is above reproach? Would it be a person who is steady and unwavering, a person with a great prayer life, a person who attends church and reads their Bible daily, a person who is trustworthy and reliable, a person who hits the bullseye in all areas of their life? Is it a person who pretty much doesn't screw up? It's not necessarily wrong to view faithfulness in that way or in that, those terms, and it's not wrong for us to have role models that we look up to, that inspire us. But we cannot forget that the faithfulness that God desires and requires from us is from, it happens from relying on the Spirit of God. I know for me, a name that pops up into my head when I, when I hear that word faithfulness is Billy Graham. The longevity of his ministry and the impact he made around the world is absolutely just astonishing. But when I do that, oftentimes what happens is the picture of what I think it means to be faithful oftentimes feels like a target I can never hit. I really struggled just with teaching on this topic 
because I, I know me. And part of me wanted to get out of teaching on this topic, but how bad would that look to get out of teaching on faithfulness? It would not be a good look. Uh, but more importantly, I, I, I really want personally to be available for, for God to produce the fruit of faithfulness in my own life. Because if you know me, you know that I need it just as much as you do. This topic can make us feel uncomfortable at times because it reveals the areas where we have not been faithful. Have you been faithful in your prayer life? Have you been faithful in loving your spouse the way God wants you to? Have you been faithful with your time? Have you been faithful with your money? Have you been faithful to love those hard-to-love family members in your life? Have you been a faithful friend to those who rely on you? It's oftentimes our lack of faithfulness that unbelievers hold up as one of the main reasons they don't give Jesus a second look. And it's oftentimes our lack of faithfulness is one of the main reasons we try to hide from God and hide from people. We put on a mask. So a good working definition of faithfulness and how it's used in Galatians 5.23 is this. Faithfulness is steadfastness consistency, allegiance. It's carefulness in keeping what we are entrusted with. It's carefulness in keeping what we've been entrusted with. The Webster's Dictionary defines faithfulness as this, fidelity. You know, faithfulness to a person, to a cause, to a belief, demonstrated by continual loyalty and support. So basically, faithfulness is devotion, commitment, obedience, loyalty. As followers of Jesus, we are called to be faithful. We are called to be faithful to God and his word. We are called to be faithful to one another. And we are called to be faithful to the gospel. But what does this really mean? What does this mean? Because the pressure and the weight of trying to hit the faithfulness target is something the apostle Paul is trying to demolish. The pressure to perform for God and other people is something the Apostle Paul wants us to put to death. Listen to how the Apostle Paul opens Galatians chapter 5. This is what he says, Galatians 5.1. He says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul is making it clear that the pursuit of faithfulness shouldn't be a burdensome one. So do you, do you feel this pressure to be a better Christian? Do you feel like this unhealthy pressure or burden in this weight to be faithful? If you do, it may be because you are relying on your own effort and not the Spirit of God. It may be because, like the church in Galatia, you've turned to a different gospel. Jesus, all throughout his life, he taught on this topic a lot. He spoke about it with his disciples, and he challenged the Pharisees about what it means to be faithful to God. In Matthew 24, the disciples ask Jesus about the end of time, and part of Jesus' response in Matthew 25 was to teach them a parable about faithfulness. So if you have your Bible, you can open, up, open it to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to be looking at um, verses 14 through 30 of the parable of the tenants. And the context of this parable is important 
because the disciples are privately asking Jesus about the signs of the end of time. And part of Jesus' response to their question was this parable. It's almost, in the, it's almost like in the midst of giving specific details about what will happen in the end, it's almost like Jesus just pauses to remind the disciples of what really matters. I mean, yes, the details of what's going to happen in the end, they're really important, but how you and I live today right now is just as important. How we view faithfulness is just as important as those details. The parable Jesus shared with the disciples should help us view faithfulness biblically, and the parable, it has practical implications on what it means to be a faithful Christian. So let's read the parable again together, uh, starting in verse 14. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To the one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. And also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came to settle accounts with them. And he who had received five talents came forward, bringing five talents more. And he said, Master, you, you delivered to me five talents here. I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he, he also, who had two talents, came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have made two talents more. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had received one talent, came forward saying, master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I do not sow and I gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The parable, this parable of the talents, gives us great insight into what it means to be faithful and what God desires for, for you and me. The first thing that we see in this parable, the first thing is that everything the servants were given comes directly from the master. Verse 14 says that the master entrusted his property to these men. Jesus is making the point that everything we have is not our property. It is his, everything. Everything we have has been entrusted to us. Our gifts, our talents, our family, our job, our time, our health, our finances, our social capital, all of our influence, all of our resources have been given to us and entrusted to us graciously by God. So why is this important to reflect on? It's because faithfulness 
isn't isolated to one area or a few areas of our life. It touches everything. We're not called to just be faithful at home, right? We're called to be faithful at work. We're not called just to be faithful, you know, at church. We're called to be faithful with everything that God has trusted to us. God wants us to be faithful in all the areas of our life. He wants us to invest all of his property faithfully. So what has God entrusted to you? Where has God placed you? Do you see what you have been given is not an accident? When we begin to see that where we are and all we have has been entrusted to us, we, we realize that the owner of this property will one day come. We realize that all we have been given is not for us to consume. Think about this for a moment. If Going back to Galatians 5, and 23, if we are growing and showing the fruit of the Spirit in our life, who benefits from that? Who benefits? The people in our life benefit. Your spouse benefits. Your kids, your community, your friends benefit from that. God will use the resources that he has entrusted to you to be a blessing to others. We never eat our own fruit. When we grow and show the fruit of the Spirit in our life, it's not for us to consume. We've been entrusted with God's property, and he wants us to use it to bless others. The self-focused shift can only happen when we realize that all we have is not really ours to begin with. All we have is from God. And in God's providence and in his kindness, he made our hearts in such a way that when we serve him and we serve others for his kingdom and his glory, only then do we feel most satisfied and filled. Can you imagine for a moment a financial advisor taking your money and spending it on his own good pleasure? A good financial advisor will take your money and invest your money appropriately. So the first point Jesus is trying to hammer home with this parable and about faithfulness is that faithfulness is all about investing. Our job as believers is to invest what God has given us and trust God with the results. Invest and trust. So where are you investing your life? Where are you investing your gifts? Where are you investing your resources? And where are you investing your time? And I will say this, that time is the one commodity that we can't manipulate and we can't ever get it back. Time is one of the most valuable things that God has entrusted to us. When we begin to see that all we have is not ours to begin with, the appropriate response is to invest it and be a good steward of it. And did you notice the, the response of the first servant? Jesus says that he went at once and invested. He went immediately. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Waiting until, t waiting to, uh, to, until tomorrow to do something that you know God is calling you to do today, that is disobedience. Faithfulness isn't something that we put off for another day. Is, is there anything that God has called you to do and you find yourself waiting. You're putting it off. Don't wait. The Bible makes it clear that none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We never know when the master is going to return. It's also important to realize 
though, that faithfulness doesn't necessarily mean successfulness. We have to be careful in measuring the eternal impact of our faithfulness. It is not our job to make things grow. Faithfulness is all about investing and trusting God with the results. And this leads me to my second point. Did you notice that God gave the one, the one servant five talents and he gave the other servant two talents? Both of these men took what God gave them and they inve- invested what they received. And both of these men received the same reward. Both of these, these servants heard these words. This is what they heard. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The man who, the man who had received two talents, he didn't complain that he received less than the other servant. He was faithful with what he was given. When you and I, when we begin to compare what we have or we don't have, it will destroy our ability to live faithfully. One of the most crippling things we can do as Christians and as people is compare what we have or we don't have. When we compare what what we have with others, we either will get puffed up with pride, we will fall into condemnation, or we will become envious. Condemnation, pride, jealousy, this is not the language of the God we serve, and it's not how you would describe a faithful servant. When we fall into the comparison trap, we lose every single time, and the last thing that we're worried about is being faithful with what God has put into our hands. Just remember, where you are and what you have is no accident. Don't worry about what other people have or they don't have. Be faithful with what God has placed into your hands. And according to this parable, faithfulness in the little things is really important. Following God's call for your life and the big ministry plans is really important. But loving your wife and being a faithful parent is just as important. Being faithful with the little things at work and at home is just as important. So has God blessed you with a home, a house? Good, maintain it. Cut your grass, weed your beds, and use your house for God's kingdom and his purpose. Has God blessed you with children? Good, spend intentional time with them and raise them to know, love, and serve Christ. Has God blessed you with a job? Good. Be faithful, show up on time, and do what is asked of you without complaining. Be a light where you serve and where you work. And has God entrusted you with the gospel? Praise God. Go and share it with the people around you and and serve in the local church and trust God with the results. Oftentimes, what keeps us from investing what God has given to us is fear. We, we are afraid we will lose out. We're afraid we're going to lose what we have. And we're afraid somehow we're going to disappoint God. We end up making it about us. Listen to the third servant's response as to why he buried his talent. He says this, Master, this is the third servant. Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you do not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed. So I was afraid. And I went and I hid your talent in the ground. 
He was afraid to disappoint the master. And as a result, he worked harder than the other two men. I mean, just think about this. This man, the third servant, had to look for a good secure spot. He had to physically dig a hole. He had to bury the talent in the ground. He had to cover it back up. And he probably had to stay close by to keep an eye on it to make sure it wasn't stolen. And just so you know, one talent is like 20 years worth of wages. It's a lot of money. The other two men, they simply gave their talent to the bankers and went back later to collect it. Fear drives us to work harder, right? And fear is often described as the opposite of faith. According to this parable, one of the main things that keeps us from being faithful or investing our life is fear. Some people are afraid to tithe because then how would they pay their bills? We are fearful of sharing our faith because we're, we're afraid to make sometimes for the, the awkwardness of that, right? We're afraid of the response we might get. We're afraid of speaking truth in our workplace because we're afraid of being canceled, right? Cancel culture is all full swing. We're afraid to repent and turn to God because we're fearful of what the light may expose. We are fearful that being faithful to God means that we may have to give something up. The man who was afraid in this parable, he didn't lose the master's money. He simply wasted it. He buried it out of fear. Don't waste your life. Don't waste what God has entrusted to you. Listen again to the master's response to the third servant. This is verse 26. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and I, ga and I gather where I scatter no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers and at my coming, I should have received what was mine with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has will more be given and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable teaches us that there is real and eternal consequences for not being faithful. Jesus is reminding us that only faithful people will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. Let that sink in this morning. Only faithful people will be welcomed into the kingdom of God. The consequence of not living faithful or misunderstanding what faithfulness is, is pretty big. And, one of the, and this is the main reason why the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Galatia in the first place. So again, I'll ask this, what does it mean to be faithful? How do you and I live faithfully? How do we live like the first two servants who left immediately and invested what God had given them? The Bible, all throughout Scripture, it explains that faithfulness is more about what we believe than what we do. Faithfulness is a byproduct of what you and I believe about God and his word. To be faithful really means to be full of faith, full of belief. In John chapter 6, we see there were men who had a very similar question that we're asking today. They, they said to Jesus, they said, asked him this question, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, what must we do to be faithful? 
And Jesus answered them. This is what he said to them. This is the work of God, that you believe in him in whom he has sent. Jesus is making the point that our belief will shape how we live. Paul reminds the Galatian church of this. He's reminding us today. Galatians 2 verse 16 says this, yet we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Jesus Christ in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So do you want to be like the faithful servants in this parable who invested what was given to them? Well, you have to realize everything Everything belongs to God and is from God, including our salvation. The gift of salvation was given and provided through the life, death, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have absolutely nothing to boast in. And it's why Paul reminds us that faithfulness is a byproduct of the Spirit's work in our life. Faithfulness, the faithfulness that God requires and desires for you and me, is produced in us from something outside of ourselves. Do you want to live and invest your life in what really matters? If the answer is yes, Paul says this, then we need to walk by the Spirit. Galatians 5.16 says this, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And verse 18 says this, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. I love the wording that is used here that Paul uses. You and I need to walk by the Spirit. We don't have a passive role at all. You and I need to walk by the Spirit of God. We need to walk by faith. We need to intentionally submit to the Spirit of God. If I'm going if I want to take a walk by the ocean, if I'm going to walk by the, by the ocean, I don't drive to Dillon, South Carolina to do it, right? If you want to walk by the Spirit, don't walk away from what the Spirit of God cares about. If you desire to live in faithful obedience to the gospel, how can you do that apart from biblical community? How? How do you submit to the Word of God without picking up the Word of God? If you are struggling in your faith and you're struggling to live faithful, here's my advice. Don't make it about you. What you have done or you haven't done is not as important as what Christ has done on your behalf. Repent and believe the good news of the gospel. We serve a God who is faithful. It is who he is by nature. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 reminds us of this. It says this, if, um, if we are faithless, he, God, remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Psalm 26.3 says this, for your steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in your faithfulness. Dr. Church, we, we walk in the faithfulness of God, not our own. Deuteronomy 32.4 says this, the rock his work is perfect. All his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright he is. And John three sixteen through 18 reminds us that what we believe will shape how we respond to God. It says this, 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. Did you catch it? Whoever believes in him is not condemned. Our belief will shape how we live, and it's our belief in the Son of God that will determine our, our, our eternity. As Christians, we do not stand up and profess our faithfulness to a broken world. We stand and boast and profess that our God is faithful. His word is true. His word is reliable. Before I close, I do want to point um, I want to point out one more thing about the parable that we looked at today. One more thing. Listen again to the response that the master gave the first two servants. He, both of these servants heard these words. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The servant's reward for their faithfulness was God himself. Enter into the joy of your master. If you and I are more in love with what God gives us than God himself, then I don't think we understand who God is or what he has done for us. If you belong to Jesus this morning, and you and I, we're, we're trying to live faithfully before God with all of our might, not to try to please God, but because we already have him. The joy of the master is what awaits the faithful. If you belong to Christ this morning, you will one day hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little and I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice, the master in this parable doesn't say well done, good and fruitful servant. Faithfulness is the goal, and it's produced in us by the Spirit of God. In a moment, we're going to take communion, um, and, it, and it's a time for us to reflect and remember that Jesus was faithful to do what we could never do, and he was faithful to accomplish what we could never accomplish. Communion is a time to remember that it's not about us. Christ's body was broken and his blood was poured out so that you and I could enter the joy of the master. We will be serving communion on four corners of the room, and so you can go as you see fit. If you are not a Christian this morning, uh, we would ask that you would refrain from taking communion, um, and, but you really would take this time to reflect and think about what you truly believe about Jesus Christ. Um, and we'd love to take time to talk with you and pray with you after the service. So as you come to take communion, come in freedom. Remember that our joy, our peace, our hope is not found in whether or not we have hit the faithfulness target. Our hope, our peace, our joy rests in the faithfulness of God. Believe that this morning. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is true, that we can rely on you 
God, we thank you that our flesh may fail at times, but you, Lord, your, your faithfulness never fails. And God, we, uh, I pray that you'd help us. Lord, I pray that the gospel would free us so that we can freely pursue faithfulness, not out of fear, but out of joy. Lord, we thank you that the joy, that one day our joy will be complete because we will be with you for eternity. We love you, God. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.